Just tell us about um, um, you grew up where? Uh, mum and dad. Uh, mum and dad were school teachers. They travelled around a little bit. I was born in Gilgandra near Dubbo. Um, moved from there. Mum and dad spent ten or more years there. We went to Ballina on the far north coast of New South Wales. Did my primary schooling there. Then went to Gosford on the central coast. Did my high schooling there. Went to university at the University of New South Wales in the nineties. And it was at New South that you got your strongest convictions about Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Mum and Dad were solid Christian people, but it was as an adult really, leaving home, being forced to grapple with that question like so many people do. Do you do do the church God a Christian thing because Mum and Dad make you, or is it, do you really believe it for yourself? And leaving home and reckoning with that, where you didn't have to go because Mum and Dad weren't watching. They were crucial years, and I'm I'm ever thankful to God for the ministry of guys like Al Stewart, Archie Paulos, Philip Jensen, obviously who was there at university as well. That was just gold. That were very important years. Yeah, yeah, good. And uh, tell us all about your family now. Um, well, I've married to Sarah. We met at we met at university. Uh, she's a, I married above myself, like most guys hopefully do. She is easily, uh, she's great. She's a, a lovely lady. We've got three kids, or as Crystal tells me, genetic experiments. It's a little genetic experiment. They, they turned out all right in the end. They're about six, eight and ten now. Um, they've basically lived in Wagga all their life now. We've been there about eight years. I think it's eight years. So, yeah, most of their life they've lived there now, yeah. Wow. I can't believe our cricket's gone. So, um, Pete came to work with me. I was doing uh, ministry yeah. at the University of Wagga. And um, with with the AFES, and we ran a, a university church on campus, and it was kind of getting uh, too big for me to deal with it all. So I asked Pete to come and help mm-hmm. me. And uh, somewhere in the midst of all that, um, Wagga Evangelical Church took off. Tell us a little yeah. bit about the timeline from your perspective, Pete. Well, for, uh, I don't know if Richard's heard some of this stuff. It's going to be interesting. Anyway, when I left Moore College, <laughs> I went to Moore College, and uh, when I did three years there. When I left Moore College. I was committed to doing ministry in the country, in regional Australia. Uh, and so, but I didn't want to go somewhere and lead something, from, lead something straight away, being only first year out of Bible college. So I looked for somewhere where I could work underneath someone. And there weren't too many places in the country where you could do that easily. And Richard was, had been looking for someone, I think, for two, maybe three years to come and join him. Uh, and so I thought, well, here we go. I'll get us a place to go. I went and did ministry with Richard. And then... Six months after trying to work with someone underneath someone, he's wanting me to. You know, we're planning a church where I'm going to lead something first year out of college. Anyway, but that's but that was um, that was exciting, good, wasn't it? It was. We'd we'd split the uh, uni church into two different church families, I guess, or two different churches. Were really the way to think about it. We had the five. We had it was all at seven before I came, wasn't it? And then we had a seven p.m. congregation and a five p.m. congregation, and uh, and so the five p.m. church family uh, became the the launch group, I guess, is the right way to say it. The launch group of what I'm going to It's a funny thing sometimes when you feel like God's at work and you're just trying to keep up. And, uh, and so the uni church that we that I was pastoring at, at uh, which I was thought was for university students, we suddenly had all these people mm-hmm. coming who weren't university students coming along. And, uh, and some of them started to have babies and started to talk about Sunday school and all this sort of thing. And it just became clearer and clearer um, that... that this was the perfect kind of core group for a church plant. Um, and, uh, and so it, we had this group of about 30 young adults, some were in the process of getting married, some were pumping out babies, some were buying land. Um, and we're thinking, wow, where's this going to go? This is not kind of 
university congregation stuff. So that's all about what was going on. Tell us some yeah. more, Pete. Well, next? well, we had that. We, I don't know how much of this is in my memory and not in yours, but uh, <laughs> I remember having a number of discussions about who's going to stay with the students and who's going to plant, who's going to go with the, the, the planting the church. And that was, a, I remember that it was hard to work out. Um, uh, my memory, which if you can correct me if I'm wrong, Richard, my memory was Richard had been running the, the student ministry for well, a decade or more. It had grown significantly under his under his care and shepherding. That we th- that it was probably what a small what do you call it a good to leave him where it's going well and let me take the risk. And then if it went pear shaped, we could always go back and work together. <laughs> was kind of the something uh, like that. <laughs> we, I, I do remember starting and thinking, and, and we were, we talked through this with Richard too. If we're willing to, uh, it's a country illustration. So I hope it works. If you're willing to, if you're willing to give it birth, if it's not going to work, you need to be willing to shoot it. That kind of uh, you know illustration, <laughs> farming illustration of that. That we actually gave ourselves a bit of a bit of a timeline going. If we're not really uh, viable in about two to three years, we really should shut it down. And that gave us enough time to actually then, if it wasn't going to work, to head back and work with Richard. Um, yeah, so it really took... So we planted in in the, uh, February of 2007. Like Richard said before, we spent two weeks... Uh, we moved the 5pm church to a 10am... Uh, to a, to a Sunday morning church... We moved it into the what's called the Riverina Anglican College, which is an Anglican school. My memory is the uh, the media cycle in Wagga isn't that particularly interesting, or not much really happens. Uh, <laughs> and so the newspaper came and took some photos. But more significantly at that time, uh, the local news, is, I think it was Win News, came and did an interview with both the school principal and myself. Uh, just just before we were starting, like the week we were starting up. And we both felt like it was going to be a feel-good story at the end of the news after the weather. New church in Wagyu, isn't that nice? Uh, but the first question we got from the reporter was, uh, what is a non-Anglican church doing in an Anglican school? And we both hosed that down. This, interview. this is great, I'm learning uh, stuff. We both, both uh, the, the principal and I hosed that down as best we could. We, we thought it was really a non-issue. And I'm trying to piece together what happened. I don't. This is my under. This is my speculation rather than I don't know exactly. I think the reporter got hold of the Canberra Goulburn Diocese and wanted a comment from George Browning, who was is very was at well. I don't know if it's being recorded or not, but he wasn't. He's not I happy with evangelicals in the slightest. Um, and given my training at Moore College, it, it smelt like to him a Sydney Anglican church being planted in the Canberra Goulburn Diocese. And that caused an enormous grief for him personally. And so he put pressure on the school board um, at that point in time to have us ejected from the school. Uh, he did say that he wouldn't be willing to recognise Peter Jensen as the archbishop if we didn't move on. It was... Quite, it was my first foray into religious politics. Pete, were you receiving any directions from anyone in Sydney about no, how to oh, do it? No, not at all. Uh, not at, yeah, so it wasn't. It was, we, we planted the church uh, independently with the, uh, you know, under the banner of the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, the FIEC group of churches. Uh, and so it, it's, not an, it's not a sitting Anglican church. It's not a, it, the, the link was my training at Moore College, really. That was the link. So the, uh, Ian still, the principal at the high school still wanted us to be there, but 
the, the school board asking, putting what, enough what, pressure on him to move us on. What effect did it have on the church? Because we, we, we moved then to the, the local yep. primary school in town. It, for those of you who understand it, the, the, the Anglican school is kind of on the other side of the river. It's a bit kind of, bit out of the centre of things. We were moved to the, the local primary school. How, how did it feel? What happened? What was the effect? Well, the, the effect... It's a funny thing in hindsight where we had a number of people, and they were often people who had been involved with a church, but who had been burnt by churches and who had just left churches altogether. We had a number of people like that who hadn't been to a regular church for years. Check us out, new church in town. Maybe this one will be different. You know, that kind of, uh, and they 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 stuck with us in those first two weeks. A number of them came and then came back. And then on the third week, when this all blew up, um, a number of them had liked what we were doing. And it was you know how shared suffering brings you closer together. You see that in wars, don't you? The the troops who fought together actually bond so hard. It's not like a war for us, but there was a sense where they, they, they were beginning to like us. They uh, felt like we were getting poorly treated, which made them feel like they're part of us, and it just brought people closer together. And so church grew from about the 30 to about 50 in, within a month. And I think partly because of the way in which we, had, we got moved on in awkward circumstances. So when I look back now going, uh, under God, it may well have been one of the quite a helpful thing it wasn't pleasant at the time having to rearrange things and but at the t- but the bonding that gave new people with us was quite crucial i think and some of those people are still with us today eight years later yeah so it was it was it was uh un- it was not ex- not i didn't pray for it to happen i didn't enjoy it happening at the time but in hindsight it's probably it was helpful the bond it was strange that we got treated better by the local public primary school than yeah, by yeah. the uh, so-called Christian. oh the principal was ropeable that you know the school board had no problems letting the basketball association use their facilities midweek, but a Christian organisation, we're not going to let them use it. Like, it <laughs> for him, it just felt it was really awkward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, tell us, um, uh, as, as you did that, what was harder than you expected and what was perhaps easier than you expected through the process in that first year? I missed the first year. I think most of our church family misses the first year because it was risky. And people love taking risks. People who are genuinely Christian love taking risks for the gospel. And because it was so risky, they and we didn't know if it was going to be financial viable. We didn't know if we were going to get new people. We didn't know if people are going to get... We didn't know what was going to happen. We were all throwing ourselves into it. And that, that, risk nature, that risky nature of it really bonded people together. And I... Um, does it surprise me? Partly it didn't, but partly it was just so enjoyable. And... Now church is more. Now our church family is far more stable financially and numbers-wise. Part of me yearns back for the riskiness of what it was like um, when when we didn't know if we were going to make ends meet and things like that. Um, so that that's that, I don't know. Did take me by surprise? It was a great thing. That that risk-taking thing early on is, was was great. Uh, what was harder? Um, setting up structure, setting it up right. The great thing of planting is you don't inherit a culture. And you don't inherit. For those of you here who have, you know, who have come into a place to lead a church where there's already people, you inherit the good things and the bad things. It goes back. Um, starting everything from scratch was just was exciting because you get to set the tone, but it's difficult because starting things from scratch is there's a lot of momentum to work up, and so just organising things like church constitutions, uh, we call it administration committee meetings. What do you do with 
how do you, you know, what, what, how do you write your own child protection policy? What about your equipment policy? What about your... You know, you're trying to do evangelism and care for new people plus, plus the structures really that's set up the... It's, you know, for, for those of you who are familiar with Cole Marshall's work, you know, making sure the trellis is in place to do the vine work because all you want to do is the vine work. <laughs> but to, to neglect the trellis work early on is to create problems later on. So getting that mix right was important but difficult. Yeah. And I think we probably, I don't know, I think we probably did too, you know, we probably didn't put enough work into the trellis early on, to be honest. Sure. Yeah. In your reflections, um, you can church plant by starting a whole new thing like an independent church or you can work with an existing denomination to start an additional church in the same town. Yeah. Do, you, do you want to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of, of those two models? Yeah, I I will say later on that it's easier to give birth than raise the dead. And what I mean by that is there are times where, uh, for, you know, I hope we're all here because we're keen on church planting. It is easier to church plant than to resurrect a dead, a dead church. And so there are times when it's time to plant and, and plant something new. Uh, there will be times when uh, places, there, there's an established group of people there already, but they have lost the gospel and you might want to resurrect it, but it's so difficult that I think you should probably plant either something new, whether that be independent or in, a, in the established denomination, would depend on the local, the local context, I would imagine. Um, but yeah, what, are the, what are the advantages? I mean, they, they both need to happen, is my opinion. We don't need... I think we need a whole armada of ships from different organisations and godly places to reach regional Australia, not just one particular. You know, not everyone needs to be independent, not everyone should be Baptist or Presbyterian. You know, we, we need a whole stack of good godly leadership in in varying areas, in, in all sorts of areas. We have all sorts of platforms to work from. Each have their advantages and disadvantages. One of the questions maybe to ask at this point is um, why even plant a new church in Wagga? We, we know that there is already some good churches in Wagga. Yeah. Same question gets asked of me in Doreen. New suburb, but there are six church plants in Doreen. Why are the Presbyterians doing one well when the Anglicans, the Baptists, the Pentecostals and everyone else is having a go? Well, why would you do that? Um, yeah, I uh, hope this goes all right to those from Wagga who are here. <laughs> um, look, the, uh, I, I, I'm hoping that for... For people with the gospel heart, we are reaching a very small proportion of the country, is, is the truth. Um, and so in a town like Wagga, in a town like Doreen, uh, I know Wagga a bit better, obviously I live there, it's, you know, there's 60,000 people. When you think of, when you put all together the, I think if you put together all the, the amount of people going to church in Wagga I think is fairly close to, under national average actually. National average is 8% of people go to a church at least once a month. That's a national average. Um, that includes all churches. If you take the Catholics out, and the, if, if you look at Wagga and you think, who, where are the where are the good teachers that are, where are the good churches that have held on hard to the gospel? How many thousands of people in Wagga go to a church like that? Well, I don't know, Sandy, what your gut feel or guess would that would be? It'll be maybe a thousand if we're lucky, maybe fifteen hundred, something like that, with a town of sixty thousand people. Um, I personally feel like Wagga needs. We need many more churches to reach the other, what would it be, 90-something percent of people that don't go to a good Bible-believing church. 
and, and I, 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 we, we've had a number of, and I, I genuinely mean that. Uh, so we've had a number of Indians come to our church, and we've grown them, and we've encouraged them, and a number of them didn't speak English that well, but could speak a number of the uh, Indian languages well. And so, in the end, we encourage them to go and plant a Indian church of its own, establish leadership and independent structure, and, and George and the other guys went and did that. And so, you know, from within our church family, and they, they, I think they'll reach more Indians in Wagga than we will. That, that raises other questions about, you know, it's just an Indian church, and is that the right way? I realise that, but certainly our, our thinking has been, well, they're probably going to reach more than we're going to reach at the moment. Indians in, Goss- in Wagga need to be saved. We've supported them, we've trained them, we've encouraged them, we've unleashed them, and they've gone and planted an Indian church, independent Indian church in Wagga. And they still lean on us at certain times for certain things, and we're more than happy to share our resources and stuff. Yeah, but that kind of thing, I think, is genuinely what needs to happen in Doreen, in Wagga, and Albury. The more you have, the more you'll reach. It's not about one person's empire, it's about the gospel, and many as possible, obviously, is where I stand. Yeah. Sure. Um, we are rostered down to have morning tea uh, for a break for 20 minutes and then Pete is going to give us his top 10 priorities for reaching regional Australia with the gospel uh, and then after that we'll have a Q&A with Pete so you can all ask your questions and uh, then we'll have lunch. So um, thanks for sharing that story Pete, great story and um, how, how many attend on a, on a typical Sunday morning His number, you're counting pastors' numbers or treasurers' numbers or that kind of question. <laughs> Average attendance, maybe? Oh, look, on a Sunday morning, we have 160 to 170 um, people, children, that's, um, adults and children. Like, like everyone here, I'm sure you've got, you know, if every single person came out every single day, it'd be significantly more than that. But on a normal Sunday, that's what it ends up being. Yeah, that's yeah. exciting. That's great news, isn't it? Let's go yeah. have morning tea.